0: This series is presented by Humankind Public Radio in association with the BTS Center. Funding provided by the Henry Luce Foundation and the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation.
1: If you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher.
0: You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. This time, compassionate presence.
2: For me, compassion is the essence of what we have to offer as caregivers. It is the the bottom line. It is the heartbeat that we are to bring into every encounter of care. And if we do nothing more than that,
0: we've done everything. Frank Rogers came to this understanding through his own painful journey growing up in an abusive home. It plunged him into dark nights of the soul, wrestling, he says, with fits of rage. This led Frank into courageous inner work, trying to understand himself to attain some measure of peace toward comprehending the forces that have driven him, and to some extent all of us at times, Today, Frank teaches at the Claremont School of Theology near Los Angeles, where he trains spiritual caregivers to go into the community and to serve. And service, he says, requires a special set of skills. If we can walk into a hospital room or walk into a, a, a prison and
2: be with a, an inmate or with their family just as a presence of compassion that's just hearing their experience and giving them the gift of being understood and empathized with,
0: held, met. For Frank Rogers, author of Practicing Compassion, that means accepting the person's experience for what it is, not judging it, not trying to correct it or change it, allowing the person to feel that you see their experience as making sense for them, given their story and what they've been through. When people are in
2: challenging situations, the most fundamental thing that they are longing for is to know that they are not alone in the midst of that, and that what they experience is, whether it's their devastating grief or their terror at being locked up for life in a prison, whatever they're going through can be heard, can be met, can be Empathized with and, and can be uh, received with a, a warm, caring regard that they can be held in that moment of pain. That's the bottom line longing that people have in those moments. And so, whatever form our caregiving takes, whether it's as a counselor, or as a chaplain in a prison or a hospital, or just as a companion with a friend to offer that kind of compassion, uh, meets a person at the place of their deepest longing. And that becomes a container that can hold them in all that they're needing to do to get through this. Whatever the grief is, whatever the having to scurry around to get the kids taken care of in the midst of all, all, how to endure it with resilience, how to get through it, People have access to those capacities when there's a bottom-line container of compassion that they feel and experience that helps them get through it all.
0: Access to those capacities.
2: When I'm in a season of grief, I still have to pay the bills. I still have to get food on the table. I still have to tend to my kids. And it can feel overwhelming and exhausting how will I ever endure, how will I ever find the strength of spirit to be able to tend to life in the midst of profound grief? Well, I have those capacities within me, but they're they're mired in grief right now. And when somebody can give me a few moments of compassion, a spiritual director, a therapist, a, a chaplain, a good friend, could just take a few moments and hear me in the overwhelming pain i'm going through and how impossible it is to get everything done in the midst of that when people can get that when i can feel like they understand my experience is being validated i'm being heard i'm being accepted i'm being empathized with something happens in me that is able to relax and restore me to the place where my capacities for resilience are located. And I leave those moments thinking, thank you, and okay, I can get through this day now. I need you tomorrow, but I can get through today now.
0: Among the caregivers trained by Frank Rogers are several chaplains who work in jails, some as volunteers, to support and counsel people who are incarcerated. This is Men's Central Jail in Los Angeles, which I visited for our documentary series The Power of Nonviolence. Men's Central is one of the largest jails in the world, with a reputation for severe overcrowding and sometimes violence. A few years ago, Mother Jones magazine ranked it as one of the ten worst prisons in the United States. Into this rough environment comes Brother Dennis Gibbs, an Episcopal chaplain educated at Claremont. For inmates who volunteer, he leads compassion classes based on Frank Rogers' teaching.
3: When we're at our best, when we're our best self, our truest self, and we're in that compassionate stream, that compassionate pulse of life in the world, we don't need a compassion practice because we're in it. But what happens when we get knocked off of that? Something happens. We get bad news. Somebody says something. Something within us is triggered. And we get knocked off our being. That is when we need a compassion practice a simple kit of spiritual tools that will bring us back to our center and it's a movement it's a u-turn from reactivity to response it's a u-turn from judgment to empathy and compassion it's a u-turn from indifference to love first for ourselves and then for the world
0: Brother Dennis directs PRISM Restorative Justice, serving inmates in L.A. County jails. Across town in the Linwood section of Los Angeles, the Central Regional Detention Facility, which houses female prisoners, also offers training in compassion practice. This is Sister Greta Ronningen leading a small session with young women prisoners.
1: This kind of practice of praying a sacred moment or Meditating is a way to really reconnect to your peaceful, centered, loving part of you that exists. And then we spend more of our life functioning from that place. And when we see ourselves be agitated or, you know, going, being annoyed, which is a big, big issue in here is to just take a couple deep breaths reconnect with your compassion for others for yourself life is a lot easier right when we can re- when we can be functioning from a place of of love and from a place of peacefulness and it's it's possible we just have to kind of do the do the homework
0: Sister Greta, also trained by Frank Rogers, co-directs the PRISM Restorative Justice Ministry and is also a longtime yoga teacher. The jailhouse classes involve relaxation exercises, prayer, and spiritual discussions. Here's Davina Cox in her mid-20s, who was sentenced to 15 years related to gang activity.
3: We'll meditate, we'll get relaxed, and then we start opening up. And then, like, we'll have, we'll form a circle, and you start hearing how people feel, and deep down inside, you start hearing why they feel this type of way. Their mother did this, or it's deeper than what we think. It's just, we just know them from being in jail. We really don't know you. Even if we sit with you every day and everything, we don't know you because we're in jail. Like, we never had a chance to be outside, or, you know? So it's like, When you see people act in different type of ways and and deal with certain situations so violently, and then we have certain, like, you know her class, like Sister Greta's class, it's like, you see them open up and sometimes we cry and sometimes we let it out because she gives us the chance to let it out and breathe.
0: Spiritual caregiving can offer deep personal rewards to practitioners who are drawn to help people undergoing distress in a wide range of settings. But by its nature, this kind of work can be emotionally and physically draining. The caregiver may be feeling irritated and agitated, or the pain one routinely witnesses may become overwhelming, which makes it difficult to retain compassionate presence. So taking care of oneself becomes an essential requirement of doing this work. Frank Rogers. Self-compassion is, first of all,
2: neglected in our world. We're, We're really given a lot of emphasis to have compassion towards others, but are seldom encouraged to have compassion for ourselves.
0: In these situations, Frank Rogers suggests taking your own pulse. How's your spirit doing right now? Is it feeling anxious, frightened? angry, driven. That means, he says, it needs a little tending to restore the lines of compassionate connection. Compassion for ourselves means being able to extend
2: the same kind of uh, grounded understanding and acceptance and empathy for our own emotional states that we would offer to another human being a good friend. So um, when we're in our best self, compassion is easy, but oftentimes we're not in our best self. Oftentimes we're angry. Oftentimes we're irritable. We're overwhelmed by busyness. Um, and what often happens in those situations is that we we beat ourselves up about that uh, i should be able to give more i shouldn't be so exhausted uh, if i were really uh, uh, spiritually uh, uh, renewed i wouldn't feel so angry and irritated at at a supervisor or whatever and we and we uh, judge ourselves and beat ourselves up for the kind of interior states that that are uh, present within us um, which only exacerbate the internal chaos within us um, and if, if we were to do that to another human being someone came to us and said you know I'm just really feeling irritated at my supervisor and it's really difficult for me to be present uh, in this chaplaincy uh, encounter we wouldn't say to them well what's wrong with you you know you really shouldn't be. you know you're really a poor excuse of a chaplain uh, but that's what we do internally to ourselves and when that happens if we did that to another human being that doesn't make their irritability go away it only enhances it, intensifies it, and it breeds shame on top of that, which only further depletes us and makes us less available to be able to offer the kind of compassion and care that's in our core best self. And that's what happens to ourselves. When I get angry or irritated, and then I start beating myself up, then I start feeling shame around all of that, um, it comple- it further depletes me and it further displaces me from that core compassionate space of of, uh, understanding that I I am able to offer the best kind of presence and care.
0: Evaluating oneself arises from a fundamentally wise and important impulse. Without honest self-reflection, things are very likely to go off track. But the question is how to enter self-reflection in a healthful manner in a way that serves those being cared for as well as the caregiver. When I'm feeling driven, irritated, agitated,
2: exhausted, depleted, instead of judging that, instead of trying to submerge it and suppress it, take a moment and hold it with some empathy, hold it with some care, my own interior states, because they come from something that's agitating them. There's some need underneath them that's aching to be heard. And when I can take a breath and say, whoa, I'm feeling exhausted right now. And the last thing I want to do is walk into that hospital bedroom. Instead of beating myself up, I go, let me just kind of take my breath and just hold that. What am I feeling? Feeling tired. Yeah. Well, it makes sense that I'm feeling tired. I've been doing this a long time. I need a break. I need some retreat. And extending some compassionate care toward my own exhaustion so that I can help it relax a little bit because it's feeling hurt. And what it really needs is able to surface. It needs a break. And I can tend to that. I can say, you know what, I'm taking tomorrow off or I'm going on a hike in the nature or whatever. And that's extending compassion To myself, it's also restoring me from that agitated, exhausted state, restoring me to my best grounded place of openness and compassion
0: that I call my best self. And does that renew or revitalize one's ability to then extend that compassion to the people you're hoping to care for? Without a doubt, Um, for two reasons.
2: One is, when I can take the time to listen to what's happening in my own interior world and help it relax, I can be back in my best self. And the kind of care I might offer in a, in a hospital room will be qualitatively different if I'm offering it from that grounded space of, of real openness versus I'm trying to suck it up and fake my way through because I'm exhausted or I'm really irritated. So I'm able to offer care better from that space. But also when I do that to myself, I'm hearing what my body and my soul really need. Um, And that's what we don't listen to. Uh, My body, my soul is aching for a little break. And so I can then tend to my own soul's needs. I can go take a run. I can go meditate. I can go for a walk, which also is replenishing and restoring, which is enabling me to have more resources to offer when I'm in a caregiving situation. Let me just catch my breath and be able to get regrounded and relax my interior agitations or exhaustions so I can be back in my best self and offer care. It it is something that absolutely can sharpen and become more precise.
0: exploring the practice of compassionate presence, the foundational skill of caregivers in their efforts to serve human beings in need. You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more and to access additional episodes of this podcast along with other resources, please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org. Can we help people who are being cared for to interpret basic questions of faith that chaplains or other spiritual caregivers live in and symbolize sometimes? Uh, Questions like, where is God in this painful situation? I I think that's a a common uh, plea from the heart from somebody who's in pain. Uh, maybe in deep distress, maybe in grief. That's the real
2: challenge of offering this kind of care. So I would I would say a couple things. Frank Rogers. What's most important is not the answer we give, but the presence that we offer. That's what's most important, that we are able to um, have compassion for where that question comes from, that we can understand it that we can companion a person in the midst of that kind of anguish and agony, that we're not afraid of the question, that we're not threatened by the question, that we get absolutely, absolutely, that's what it feels like. It feels like we are alone, that there is nothing sacred in this universe that is with me in this moment of utter tragedy. That's what the person is experiencing, and that's what they're asking. Is is that true? Is, is it really true that I'm absolutely alone and that everything I thought was sacred has abandoned me and is not present? And the answer, the words we give, are not going to meet them at that place. What meets them at that place is being a presence that is with them, with understanding and compassion. Being able to say, I'm with you, I get it. Absolutely, that's the hard question. And it's paradoxical, it's counterintuitive, because even though we're not giving an answer, we're being the answer. And
0: somehow that's soothing to that person's spirit. Well, if you have a companion in that dialogue along that journey, that reveals that one is not alone. That's exactly what I'm saying.
2: That's exactly what I'm saying. So the words themselves are not going to communicate that we're not alone. To say, oh, you're not alone. Ah, That sounds hollow. It rings true. But feeling, I mean, really getting at the level of one's despair that somebody is standing right there, toe to toe, who gets that despair, who understands it, and is shouldering me in the midst of that, I'm experiencing that I'm not alone, that even my despair is being met and being held. And that is where the sacred is. That's where they are going to receive the the spiritual resources to be able to endure. And is that the end of isolation? That's the ultimate connection, that we can be in the most despairing conditions of this world, and they too are held with love,
0: compassion, and connection. That's the deepest thing to know in our world. For people facing adversity a medical patient up against a difficult diagnosis or an inmate doing time or a lonely soldier or a student in an identity crisis, pat answers from a well-meaning advisor may not suffice. So in cases like that, what should be the posture of the caregiver? Frank Rogers.
2: Well, I would say the posture should be one of don't be afraid of their agony and their question don't be afraid of their despair. Um, that, because oftentimes we can be threatened by that ourselves. You're like, you know, I I don't know. Maybe we are abandoned by God, I, and my in our own faith gets threatened. And um, and so I would say, that, you know, first of all, don't be afraid of the question. Um, um, th- that and that's part of what chaplaincy. That's the spiritual work of chaplaincy as well. Is that we need to face those spaces in ourselves, the suffering. Um, the, the tragedies where we've asked those
0: questions. So don't run away from one's own wounds.
2: Absolutely, don't run away from one's own wounds. Yeah, it's we, we need to be present to our own wounds and, and experience the the sacred, power of compassion in our own woundedness, um, as a, a as a precondition to be able to extend that to other persons. We can only be present with other people's pain to the extent that we can be present to our own pain. And so when we've faced for ourselves, yeah, I've asked that question too. I've been in those places of absolute despair. I've been in those places where it felt like where tragedy was so thick, there was nothing sacred in the world, and I was alone. I've, I've been in that place. I know that place. And in the dark night of that place, Somewhere along the way, I was met. I was met by a caregiver. I was met by grace. I was met by a presence, something that was itself the icon of sacred reality. And knowing that that can be met in the most despairing of conditions, knowing that is the foundation that I can walk into a room and say there is no despair that I'm not willing to hold a person through because the deepest despair is also met by the sacred. And my presence, just being with them, with that compassion, is the instrument, is the icon, the way in which that sacred reality is present in those moments.
0: Does that have the effect of transforming the soul ache that a person may go through during these low moments,
2: I, I think eventually it transforms it absolutely. But this is—it's not an easy fix. It's not like, like somebody asks a despairing question like that, and and I can meet them with compassion, and then all of a sudden, oh, great, I feel good. No, it—it's we we go through that season of grief, or that season of questioning, and and while we are met with compassion, um, it eases the pain a little bit. It takes a little bit of the edge off, but it's still it's still hard. It, it, it's still a season of grief. But over time, um, that grief can transform into resilience, uh, into compassion, being able to have compassion for others in the midst of that. But it takes some time. It's not a, a quick, easy solution or fix. So I mean I I'd, I'd also do want to sidestep the question in terms of um when somebody's really asking questions about where is god in the midst of that for me the baseline is what we've talked about it is is to compassionately connect with them in that pain
0: so in a moment like that whether you verbalize it or not is being the companion embracing the person accepting and acknowledging their difficulty, is that where God is in, in that moment? Absolutely.
2: That, that is where God is present. So they are experiencing God embodied in your care for them, in your companioning of them. They are getting a glimpse, a whisper of the sacred love and compassion that they're aching for in the midst of it. may also be times when theological dialogue is appropriate too. Sometimes people in the midst of crisis are really asking, how do you make sense of where God is in the midst of this? And, and, and in those times, it is appropriate to, to respond and, and share from our own experience. Um, uh, and, and so th- there is a role for chaplaincies to be in that kind of dialogue as well. Um, my caution is, is that we as caregivers need to be really clear that that's the space this person is in. If they're in the space of agony... That's not the time for the theological discourse or dialogue about this.
0: Because they can't really
2: hear it. They can't hear it, and and, and that's not what they're really asking for anyway. They're not asking for a theology in those moments. They're asking for presence. They're asking for, for some reassurance that they are not alone and, and that God is with them, and their taste of that is through you. So they're not really asking, right? But there are other times I mean you might be companioning somebody with a dying of cancer, for example, and after some of the initial stages of grief and and uh and shock um they are in spaces where they really are trying to make sense theologically or uh or someone who's grieving uh, the tragic loss of a loved one and um and as that grief is 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 uh going through its season, there may be spaces where where they really are asking how do you make sense of all this and and so a caregiver needs to also be prepared to be able to talk about this
0: in the right moments as well have there been cases where you have noticed that the person was kind of ready to have a discussion like that oh many times i mean many many times certainly
2: yeah um I mean I'm also a seminary professor and and so the class is filled with people who've known some type of tragedy or crisis in their lives and and part of what drives them to seminaries is they're asking these questions and um, they're not in the in the the abyss of their pain and their grief um, uh, by any stretch, necessarily, and so they are that is a space but also um especially in um long term companioning. Um, when you've been with somebody in the the extreme crises, um, and you're able to be that companioning presence, that's not the time for the conversation. But if you're companioning someone over months of an illness, or or uh, a, a whole season of grief, um, months of grief, and then they're continuing to come back to you, there may be times in in those spaces where they're sitting down and saying, you know, I really appreciate your your presence. But I'm really curious, you know, how do you understand where God is? I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. And, and still, your presence is most important. It is foundational. But on that foundation, it may be appropriate to share some words from your own experience.
0: So where do you go when you're sharing with a person uh, in that position? Uh, it, it depends.
2: It would depend on the person and depend on kind of the time. For me, uh, I tend to go to my own personal experience. Um, and that this is why I say this is only when somebody is really asking this question. Um, but I would go to see, you know, I, I've i asked that question myself. I I've, I've been in my own versions of despair. I've been in abysses where I felt absolutely alone and forsaken. Um, and, and for me, I found in those spaces uh, moments of grace that were absolutely uh, transcendently holding me with compassion and care in the midst of that.
0: And what if the person you're talking with says, well, that's all well and good. I'm so glad you got that. I'm not feeling moments of grace at the yeah. present. I, I get
2: that too. Because that happens to me, too. It's not always there. It's not always there.
0: And that's the ache of the human spirit. Frank Rogers, author of Practicing Compassion and Compassion in Practice. He's professor of spiritual formation and narrative pedagogy and co-director of the Center for Engaged Compassion at the Claremont School of Theology. To the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Doug Sugertz. Editorial assistance from Andrew Andresco, Maggie Mantis, Kathy Graham, and Ken Rogers. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Connie Goldman and Tony Buck. The Spiritual Care Podcast is presented by Humankind Public Radio. To learn more and to access our other podcasts and related resources, Please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org. That's spiritualcarepodcast.org. Thank you for listening.
1: If you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher.